And welcome to Enabling Digital with Systems Plus podcast series. Today, I have a fantastic guest with me, Arthur Fid. He, I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. He is the CIO at Reed's Jewelers, based out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Arthur has over 25 years of experience globally at the executive level, and he has experience leading IT and corporate-wide business transformation programs across industries that vary from retail to banking, to CPG, to e-com, gaming, telecom, and he's even got some experience with the government, which is really, really interesting. <laughs> um, Arthur, it's great to have you here. How are you? Thank you. So, so Arthur, Arthur, I'm going to actually jump into, I'm going to start this a little bit differently. Um, one of the core beliefs that I have and uh, uh, VS Systems Plus also have is give back. And I noticed, um, you know, I, I read a little bit about your foundation and I want you to talk about that a little bit because I think it's really, really cool what you're doing and really interesting um, uh, what you're trying to achieve. So how did you conceptualize it and how did you actually go about actually, uh, you know, uh, funding it and, and, and sort of moving forward? Thank you. You know, it's it's a great question. Um, you, you know, many years ago when I was the the CIO at uh, Cable and Wireless, uh, and I was based in the Caribbean and the Americas region. Um, you know, when when you're running technology for the telco, you 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 become involved in the in the lives of the people of these countries, right? And what struck me was the disparity between those who have access and those who don't, you know, and the fact that, you know, I was the CIO of the infrastructure for the country, it, it had placed me in a position to, to try to influence um, how we can, uh, uh, I suppose, bridge this gap. And as, as the years went on, I, I just had this, this calling to do more. And, and I just felt that it's a little bit unfair for uh, kids that are growing up in underserved uh, neighborhoods to not have the ability to realize their dreams educationally simply because they don't have internet access. They, they, they don't have a laptop, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then of course, when they go home from school at two or 3 p.m., they can't do their assignments because as we all know, if we have kids, you're, th most of their assignments gonna be done online. Right. And then when you think about the COVID um, era where it, it is online and they don't have access, right. Sapan. So what do you suppose is going to happen to them? You don't do the assignment three, four, five times. You get a bad grade. You get kicked out. And then the spiral continues. So so um, I, I was moved to do my part. And I, I started my foundation uh, to, uh, to try to improve as many lives as we, we possibly can through donations and fellowships and support and really a ton of my own um, um, funds, you know, to, uh, to, to sponsor kids, to build out um, community homework labs. So, so kids can go there and be mentored and have access to the internet. And so that's sort of where the inspiration came from. And uh, it's been pretty fulfilling to be honest. Uh, I mean, that's really amazing. And actually, um, you know, it's, it's, it's inspiring to be honest. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so one thing that sort of, I did, um, read about you was 
about your whole thought process behind what, well, today's buzzword, which is digital transformation, right? As a CIO, uh, I'm sure you hear it in 20 different ways, uh, daily probably, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I know when we were talking a little bit earlier, you mentioned that uh, that digital transformation means different things for different people. So what does it mean mm-hmm. to you and how do you look at it? And, and more than that, how do you sort of help the business sort of come along? Because today, uh, more and more, what you notice is IT and business have to be partners, whereas historically, it didn't used to be like that. So, so if you can just <laughs> help me uh, through your thought process. Sure. This is one of those um, topics that you could spend weeks on. And, you know, I, I, I teach a course uh, at the graduate level at the University of the West Indies, and it's um, called IT economics and another one that's called IT systems management. And, and they kind of um, commingle, I suppose. The, the, key, the key points basically revolves around what is the role of IT in an organization? And when you look at it historically, you know, IT has lived in many, many uh, verticals in a company. I mean, heck, there was a time when IT was the finance department and, and that's, you know, uh, pre-World War II and, and, and post-World War II where You'd the finance surprised. guys, yeah, yeah, the, the finance guys control the money and they needed to do accounting and so they they would they would you know get a big mainframe and they were the only ones who could run reports so so naturally as we moved into the uh you know the the post 70s time frame where else would you put it except cfos can't drive it it's unfair to ask them because what's a cfo gonna say to a guy who just graduated from mit with a master's in computer science about his career path right right so we've seen IT go through those weird transformations. Um, IT, since its inception, has been viewed as the guys who keep the lights on, right? They're an afterthought. And, and if, even today, there are chief executive officers who still can't get their brains to understand that, if I may say so, the future CEOs are going to be extremely IT literate. Mm-hmm. In fact, CIOs and and there's literature out there, right? Their their CIOs are being tapped to become CEO CEOs now more than ever before. So we get into this digital transformation business, and it, you know when the internet came around, Sapan, everyone said, "Oh, we're digital." So so well, why why would you say that? Well, I have a website, right? So so you get that definition of digital transformation. Then you get the other side of it, which you know, oh. We, um, we're, we're going to um, build an app. So, well, okay, now we have digital transformation. We, we got a website, we got an app. And I guess that means we're ready. And, and then, then, then there is the digital transformation around this thing called omni-channel. So, okay, well, what does that mean? And the average person starts the omni-channel uh, discourse from what I call the outside in Sapan, where it, it's all about the you know what the customer sees, mm-hmm. and the fact that a customer can truly, you know, shop at multiple channels. You know, they can use a marketplace, they can use a brick and mortar, they can use the website, use the app. But that's not that doesn't mean you have an omni-channel framework. It just means you have multiple channels through right. which the customer can purchase. So for me, the digital transformation is, 
a, 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 a three-part um, concept. It's a triangle. There, there's people, there's processes and technologies, right? right? And if you don't <clears throat> harmonize these three, Sapan, then you don't have a digital transformation. What you have is sort of this uh, disparate sets of persons at varying degrees of uh, adoption with technology. So where do we go from here? In my view, we have to step back and understand the goals of the organization, mm -hmm. the competitive landscape. And we have to think carefully about capacity planning and management and, 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 and drive innovation. All of those together, right? when you mix them in, puts you on, on, on the path to become a digitally transformed organization. So yes, you're going to invest in, in technologies for, to, to drive innovation, to drive process efficiencies. But you're also going to have to invest in, in people. Right. In some cases, new people. In other cases, you're going to have to seriously want to upskill your staff. And yeah, and it's a cost. But you still have to be committed to doing that. And you're going to have to be willing to trust. As leaders, if you're going to shift a paradigm that was people intensive and 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 uh, <laughs> paper intensive, and and now you're going to shift to be a little bit more real time, online, connected, then it means you're going to have to trust these persons that you've hired to lead you through the transformation. Right. So digital transformation requires that you understand the capacity of your organization, understand the competitive landscape. Uh, Accept that you're going to have to uh, harmonize your infrastructure, your databases, your data models. You're going to have to drive a oneification of your marketing framework, uh, your, your, the way you uh, support customers in each channel is going to have to be, in, uh, here I go again, oneified. So if Sapan walks into the store, he should feel as if he's on the website and vice versa. You know, he should feel that 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 harmonized experience. And so it's all of that. So there isn't a, a simple one sentence answer, is there? Well, no, there definitely isn't. So do you feel that retail actually leads the way in that thought process mainly because of the amount of touch points uh, the industry has? Oh, gosh, retail, so many things roll into that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, for example, where would you put Amazon? Are they retail or are they or are they a platform, right? Yeah. So for me, Amazon's a platform sure. that retail should leverage. Uh, but 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 for the purpose of the conversation, you know, if you compare retail to banking, right? Retail is clearly ahead because of the nature of the products and the competitive landscape. Um, but we we do have. Uh, I guess, fragmentation in, in, in many retail strategies where you still have in one company, Sapan, essentially multiple little companies pretending to be um, harmonized, right? right? You, you, you've, got, you've got companies where the, the brick and mortar, you know, is kind of off doing their own thing and, and the e-commerce teams over here doing their own thing. Uh, whereas you have at the other end organizations that have decided to leverage things like ability to see inventory across all stores, whether it's digital or brick and mortar. So you can do things like buy online, pick up in store, for example. Right. right. Um, 
so I, I I think it would be fair to say that across sectors, the retail sector is the one that's trying novel things, um, and uh, the others are catching up. If you think about banking, you know, in my last role in, in a banking environment, my, my phraseology was, let's turn the bank into, the, into a retailer of financial services. Because I believe that if you begin to look at things from the perspective of a, of a retailer, it changes your, your view. You, you start thinking about how you compete. How do you um, drive customer acquisition, right? And how do you maintain customer retention? But yeah, I, I would say the retail sector is probably leading in this vein. Okay. So then how do you, you, you touched upon people, right? And I, I find it that that is usually the hardest um, thing to manage but not not well the change manager aspect because you, i can have the best technology i can have the best processes but if there's no adoption then my technology is as good as useless and <laughs> if if people don't follow the process then my process is also as good as useless so how yeah. do you manage the people side of it and especially the change manager and, and how to bring people along from a change management perspective because that is where we have seen things break down usually more often than not Look, it's, 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 it's the age old question, right? How do you make someone do something they really don't want to do? Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I, there is no silver bullet. There is no um, single answer. I can tell you techniques that I've used. And since I lecture on those topics, you know, I've been able to apply many of these concepts, but it's really about um, starting with executive buy-in, mm -hmm. right? Uh, at the end of the day, if you're trying to transform an organization and the senior most executives, and quite frankly, the CEO specifically, hasn't really bought into it. And I mean, not lip service buy-in, Sapan. Really buy into it. Right. If, if, if you can't get that, then it's going to be uphill all the way. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, the, if the cohort of executives aren't bought in, then the person tagged to drive the transformation has to be willing to spend the time to understand what they want from, from, you know, as far as their responsibilities are, their piece of the business, what motivates them, what drives them, what works, what doesn't work, what are your issues? And I think once you start uh, requesting that feedback, and then you start helping people understand timing and understand how they're going to benefit from it, they'll start to come along. Now, they don't have to do cartwheels and wave pom-poms and go out and tell everybody. But the point is they understand that there is some value for them in this change. Um, and, and quite frankly, what I do is I allow my internal clients mm -hmm. to make a lot of decisions. My role is to be the shepherd. I, I, my style of leadership, I classify it as servant leadership. Okay. My, my goal is to understand your wants and needs and, and to essentially do all I can, Sapan, to create a Petri dish within which each of my internal clients and their downline uh, team members can become successful goals. Uh, so, so the hard part is, is, is the time, energy, and effort. Uh, in, my, in my case, as a CIO, and I think all CIOs, by the way, you have to put yourself into it and you have to be willing 
to to understand each of your your uh, cohort members, understand their strengths, their weaknesses, their likes, their dislikes, their visions. It, mm -hmm. it might not all be aligned, right? And then you have to be that coach, that shepherd, that servant leader to bring them along. What does all this mean, Sapan? It's not going to happen in a week, right? Right. It, it, it takes time. So, so let's touch on that uh, point a little bit in terms of servant leadership. Um, that means there's, it's, it's very difficult. Well, servant leadership by, by theoretically definition, you cannot ram it down anybody's throat. You have to bring people along. There has to be collaboration, et cetera. Uh, and hence, uh, yes, often it does mean time. Um, of course, uh, if people are bought in, there's better, better outcomes. I, I agree. But sometimes business, especially today, the way the speed at which business is moving, how do you practice both? Uh, and what I mean by that is and, ensure that you stay true to your servant leadership style and yet ensure that everything is moving at the speed the business needs it to. Right. And this is why the role of the CIO has to be redefined uh, where we started a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, CIOs are not hired to keep the lights on, right? We are truly entrepreneurs. We are visionaries. We are innovators. We are equipped with process management. We are, we're pretty darn good at identifying inefficiencies in workflows. We are uh, uh, experts at uh, understanding the needs of an organization and the finances uh, required to support it. In other words, we're running a line of business, right? Um, as a result, the CIO, therefore, has to have that seat, Sapan, at that morning meeting with the other executives. And his or her update is not which router failed or which firewall failed, right? Right. His updates are along the lines of, hey, we're looking at the data and we're beginning to understand that there are new opportunities on the West Coast or new opportunities in, in another country based on what we're seeing in industry reviews and things like that. T to bring that to the table as the CIO is really critical in order to have your colleagues build confidence, right? Sit so now. If, if you're driving the change, mm -hmm. right, as is the case if you have kids, there are times when you say what it's going to be and that's it. Right. If you don't lead with that, because if you lead with that, you build resentment right up front. Right. No, so actually what I was going to ask is that, do you feel that the CIOs are starting to get the respect uh, more so than how it was before? Because, yeah, it's exactly as you said, you know, when the CIO used to report into... Uh, the CFO just with, uh, by design, and and you'd be surprised that there's still organizations that deal with where the CIO still. I don't understand that at all. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it's the way of the world, I suppose. But 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 yes, I agree that the world is changing. But uh, you know, you having been uh, in the industry for 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 so long, um, and with, with so much uh, experience at the at the C-suite level, have you seen the change? You know, it's not as expansive as I would like it to be, Sapan. I where I see it the most is within the realm of startups, right? Yeah. I suppose if you're building it from the ground up, you know, in, in, in the, the time that we live, 
they're not going to make those mistakes, right? Like I fundamentally pose this question. If the role of the CFO fundamentally at its core is really to control cost. And if the role of the CIO fundamentally at its core is to drive innovation, which requires spending, how can you have the role that must spend reporting to the role that must control cost? An irresistible force. Well, an irresistible force meets an immovable object. What happens? Right. So, so, so for me, there's contention in, in the org structure when you do that, unless, Sapan, the, the view is IT is a support function. Then great. If, if you think IT is there to keep the lights on, to wait for someone to open a, a trouble ticket, to, um, you know, run cables when you're running, building a new store, then, then I suppose that can work. Because right. all they're there to do is to have a, a series of tasks and they just check them off. And they... But what, I, what I've seen is in the startup realm, CIOs are doing exactly what I've said. Right. In, in the pre-startup um, era, there's, there's a massive contention. People today, companies that have been around for 50, 60, 70 years, right? You know, they still struggle to understand the role of a chief information officer. And oftentimes, if the CIO is not strong, does not demand what they want, then what will happen is they will get relegated to being the person who runs the guys who keep the lights on. Right. It's not at, at the rate that I'd like to see it in older companies, but certainly I see it in all the startups where the CIO is, is truly an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So. Another sort of question that I had or would like your perspective on is that, you know, especially in the last couple of years, thought adoption has really propelled um, the whole thought process in terms of, again, I'm going to use this word very broadly, digital transformation, right? And it means different things for different people at different stages in their life cycle. Um, but, but do you feel that this, the companies have been on this journey well before uh, the, the the cloud adoption really took over. And of course, uh, you know, in the last couple of years with COVID, et cetera, <laughs> when people just sort of had to make these hard, well, were forced to make these choices. Um, so what, what are your views? I mean, is it, is it, is it like, oh, the cloud is now the new savior and therefore it is, uh, the, it is the way to digital transformation? I mean, I, I, I have my perspective. So, you can hear it in my tone, but I want your perspective. So it's, it, you know, it's weird because it's the definition of cloud, right? Um, so fundamentally, we've always had this concept of a cloud, which, which didn't look at it that way, right? Um, you know, your, your data center is, you know, 800 miles away. That's your cloud, exactly. okay? Uh, you own it, but, but fine, get over that. It's your cloud. Um, I believe that the adoption, you know, accelerated especially as we, we got into this new century, right? Um, my personal belief is I'm a strong believer in thing as a service, whether it's data center as a service or software as a service, 
security as a service because everything has a service today, right? Right. But I'm a strong believer in bifurcating core competences. So at my company, we're, we're terrific at, at what we do, diamonds, luxury jewelry, and that sort of stuff. Right. Why on earth do I want to own my data center when all I have to do is subscribe to any of the many cloud data centers out there mm-hmm. where they have people who are dedicated, trained, and skilled at that specific task? Right. For example, one of the things we, we've experienced that reads is for years we've been running on a legacy AS400 platform, which was a good idea at the time, right? Because everything was a good idea right. at the time. But, but it's no longer a good idea. But it's not a skill that I want to, to, to sort of curate in my future IT organization. So it's what right. do you do? So first thing we did was we moved it and we went searching, believe it or not. We went searching for a cloud-hosted AS400 as a service. And we actually found one. I was just going to ask you that. Okay. I, I, I guess all of my ex-IBMers, I'm an ex-IBMer too, so I guess there's a whole bunch of IBMers who you wondered where they went. They probably ended up at this place. And so, so <laughs> we're running AS400 as a service, believe it or not. Right. And, and similarly, our e-commerce, uh, reads.com, is not sitting in a data center at our head office. Why would I do that? It's, it's sitting with a bunch of guys who are experts at it. I think, yes, the adoption is, 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 has gone through that J curve, mm-hmm. right? Where more and more companies, uh, certainly in the United States and especially in Europe uh, and, and even in China, uh, see that as a default. Now, there's still regions on the planet where there are CEOs and, and CIOs sometimes who, who, I swear they want to go hug the machine and, and cuddle it and say, oh, nice server, I own you. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't get it. So interesting you say that, given the industry you serve, because the diamond jewelry industry is notorious for protecting, thinking that if I do not have, if I cannot hug my server, somehow <laughs> all my customer information is going to leak out and some competitor is going to come in and take it all away. So how, yes. and, and clearly you have been in the forefront of that. So how did you actually convince sort of your leadership team, management, et cetera, to say, hey, you know what? Um, don't worry. It's not like that. That's not how it works. Yeah, I mean, so it's the art of writing a business case. And, you know, honestly, in, 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 in at least two or three of the courses that I teach, you have to write a proper business case to get that A, right? So right. there are two ways to create that case as a CIO. You could do it based on um, uh, uh, organizational improvement, or you could do it based on risk avoidance. The risk avoidance is the one I use the most. See, because for us, you know, where we're located and where we had our data center, which is a computer room, mm-hmm. is in a, a, a geography that's notorious for hurricanes passing right. through. Right. And so we made the case that this is truly a business continuity risk. Right. And you also have you need to get a good lawyer, software lawyer, and we happen to have those to ensure that all the right um paragraphs and languages around indemnification and 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 uh, risk ownership are in place mm-hmm. 
but it, it's really about writing the business case and explaining to your team members, your, your peers, your chief executive, your board, why it makes sense and and to present it as an avoidance of a potential catastrophic risk which nobody wants to have to deal with i i've not met a board member who would would say yeah i'll take the risk of a hurricane wiping out my data center right well you're right and you're absolutely right so i want to switch gears a little bit uh to innovation in uh retail especially uh in the jewelry industry and and, uh, and you coined the term called jewel tech. Um, tell me a bit more about that. Um, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've seen the, 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 pro, the stuff that you sort of sent earlier. It's really cool the way you sort of you designed it, et cetera. But, you know, I don't want to, you know, you can explain it a lot better than I can. <laughs> it's, you know, I, um, I coined that. I don't know if someone did it before, but I just decided I was going to use it. Uh, based on experiences I had, in in being a part of the transformational team at a bank um, mm -hmm. uh, prior to to joining Reeds, and it, that is where the whole notion of a fintech um, emerged. These right. these technology companies that are developing novel and and efficient uh, financial services components, uh, and so with the fintech partnering with the bank. You're able to do things you you know you customer acquisition customer retention you speed up time to deliver products and services right you drive efficiency you reduce cost and i thought well we could do the same thing in this industry this industry is ripe for it by the way mm -hmm. and and so as i searched you know especially if you look in in israel and, and india certainly um you, you find these 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 startups or or mature companies that are building foundational technologies that you can ex use to exploit or you can exploit them to en enhance the way you deliver product to your customers the way you create an immersive experience when you're online that allows the customer especially in the middle of a pandemic to do the things they would do if they walked in a store like try on a product you should be able to try it on right like having a rich three-dimensional experience um, the way you would if you literally picked up a watch or, or, or a ring. And in my mind, if, if we were able to use holograms to bring back Tupac, then I would assume that we could use holograms to show off our products and services. So at Reeds, I have uh, created an innovation lab. And <laughs> when I tell colleagues in the IT space that uh, we're a jewelry company and we're even using these words innovation lab they sort of look at me as if well <laughs> dude where are you from like it's it's jewelry uh but but no we 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 are driving innovation and and I've established a lab where we're trying uh, we've literally created a store in the lab mm -hmm. so we have a number of our future store of the future um services i can't go into them that sure. we're going to bring to market but we we it's the proving ground right so uh, i've told you about uh the spatial reality uh display device yes. uh and and our ability to create rich 3d immersive experiences um and, and many others and so we tried them out in our lab and then we kind of decide okay well here's a store that we're going to put this in because the store is from a form factor 
-hmm. is ideal for this type of technology or market segment based. So we're very innovation driven. That's really, really neat. <laughs> I just can't tell you all of the things. Oh, You'll see I'm, hear about I'm, them. I'm following you guys, so I'll see it for sure. Um, <laughs> so we're nearly out of time, uh, but I, wanna, I do want to ask you one last question. Um, it's a very open-ended question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is, so what drives you? Because you, I mean, you know, I, I, every single thing I've read about you and even the contractions that you've had, even though, you know, not, not enough, uh, according to me, I'd love to get to know you a lot better, but you are, you, you come across as an extremely content person and some, and you, and people gravitate towards you. So I, I would like to know your secret. What drives you? You know, I think I'm lucky in many ways. Um, I heard someone say once that the two most important days of your life are the day you were born mm -hmm. and then the day you know why. Okay. And I feel I've been blessed, fortunate, and lucky to have figured out the latter. Um, I am very, very um, satisfied with what I do and why I do it. Uh, my, my, my love is teaching and, you know, shepherding. And that's, that's not tied to, you know, uh, what I learned in business school or in any of my academics or anything like that. It's just who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that we are all here to help each other. And that means when you're at work and you take on this awesome responsibility of the title of leader, you need to recognize there's a difference between management and leadership, right? Dr. Cotter said it, management deals with the status quo, leadership deals with change. Therefore, in this century, we must create more leaders. Mm -hmm. I viewed it as my goal. That my direct reports will tell you every day they feel like they're in a lecture hall with the professor side of me uh, driving them. My Some of my colleagues on the business side in various companies that I've uh, worked in will say the same thing. So what motivates me is seeing you be all you can be, is, is knowing that I contributed to uh, creating an environment that allowed you to kind of fulfill your dreams, whether it's academically or career-wise. And, and I get a big, huge kick out of doing that. And then I'm doing the job that I like doing. Like I, I just like doing this stuff. And, right. and I think I've just been, I've been blessed, fortunate, and lucky all at the same time. That's absolutely amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> I definitely don't want to stand in the way of you and your vacation. Um, so Arthur, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. Um, this has been fantastic and, and, and amazing for me. And I'm sure it'll be very amazing for all the people that are going to listen in. So thank you once again. Um, and I really, really look forward to meeting you very soon. So um, thank well, you. And you stay in touch. Oh, absolutely. All right. Right. Take care. And I wish you and family, your family a very happy and healthy holiday season ahead. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Take care.